When you meet someone, typically what happens? After you introduce yourself, give, him, give that person your name, I'm guessing that more times than not, the initial conversation begins with, what do you do? What do you do for a living? What are you up to, right? What, what, is, what is your life surrounded around, uh, uh, around in your career? We tend to be people because not only have we been taught, but we have grown up with uh, the idea that we are identified by what we do. So we typically go to that conversation or that, that topic. We ask that kind of question to, to realize or to find out a little bit more about you. We believe that knowing what you do for career or profession will help identify you even better. Now, obviously career can do that. As a minister, I'll be real honest with you, I try to stay away from that question, right? Um, uh, it's not that I'm, I'm ashamed of it, and I don't hide it, but once someone who doesn't know me finds out that I'm in full-time ministry, the conversation changes pretty quick. The demeanor often changes, right? Because now what we have done is, is we, have, we have kind of shadowed what we believe that person is or who that person is based off of career. And so we go to this. We think that we are identified by what we do and so we go to this idea of what do you do for a living because that must be who you are. Admittedly, we will bring preconceptions of different ideas or careers or professions of the kind of people. And so we identify people this way. Um, you know the, uh, the Geico Gecko, right? These Geico commercials. Um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a particular commercial uh, where the Geico Gecko is checking into some kind of conference. And as he's checking in, the woman who's helping him at the desk hands him the name tag. And he looks at her like, why do I need a name tag? I'm the Geico Gecko. Look at me, I'm the only Gecko at a human conference, right? This is the kind of interaction that he has with this woman. And she insists that he puts the name tag on. And so the name tag... It's so big, it wraps around him like this. It kind of covers him. So everybody knows who he is at this particular conference, right? So we take this idea of identity. Like, we need to know who you are, right? I need to know who you are, who this person is, right? We, we value identity so much, and we value knowing identity so much that we see each other as simple name tags, that we see other people that we don't know or have no connection with, no relationship with, new folks, we see them as a simple name tag, someone that we can identify. Who are you? Because I need to know who you might be. And so we see the name tag, and we try to fill it in. I mean, we ask very early on in our children's lives, what do you want to do? Why do we ask that question? Typically, we ask the question, what do you want to do? Because we want to know who they're going to be. See, we have been taught, and our culture and society has, has, has brought us into this idea that what we do is who we are. But we see something different in Scripture. We see something vastly different 
And the holy word of God that does not bring identity through what we do, but rather who we align with. I love 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We've been paying attention to this particular uh, uh, chapter of Scripture for a couple of weeks now. I'm grateful for Brandon Shar last week filling in for me while I was out. He did such a great job, and it must have exhausted him so much, he's gone today. So, um, But I'm grateful for his thoughts as we, as we look at this idea of what it means to not simply be different, but to have purpose in our differences. That Jesus calls us to not simply proclaim him, but to live different on purpose. That our actions, our words, and our attitudes are shaped not by what we do or have done. They are shaped by who we align with. And I love some of the... 2 Corinthians 5 has some just powerful language throughout the chapter. A couple weeks ago, I looked at the, the, first, uh, the first 12 verses or so of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and Brandon looked at the second half of 2 Corinthians 5 last week. But, but powerful language, it helps us to, to really start to shape this idea that we are called to live differently in our actions, our words, and our attitudes. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. What a wonderful verse. If anyone is in Christ... If anyone is in Jesus Christ, the new creation has come. The old, it's gone. And the new is here. Paul is reminding the church in Corinth of this wonderful, fantastic truth. That Jesus Christ, when you align with him, when you are brought into his presence, into the, into the, foots, uh, the footsteps of Jesus Christ himself, there is something that happens, and it's newness, and it's different. He goes on just a couple of verses later, verse 20 of chapter 5. We are, because we are in Jesus Christ, we are therefore Christ ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us. And we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. That we are not only people who have mission and vision in Jesus Christ, but we have people who have purpose in Jesus Christ. We have, we have an ability to go into the lives and the work and the areas and the families and the people that we live and not be assigned by what we do, but by who we are in Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ, we find mission and vision. In Jesus Christ, we find purpose in this life. And it's different than anything that you can find in this world. Our value, your value is not identified by what you have accomplished or how many dollars you have in your bank account. Your value is not identified by what you can contribute or bring to the group. Your value is... In Jesus. Who we are is not labeled out of our accomplishments. Who we are is solely in Jesus Christ. That's different. 
That is a different way of thinking. That is a different way of living. That is a different way of speaking. It is a different way to approach every situation with a Jesus-like attitude because you do not bring anything that identifies the value of who you are. You have value because Jesus sees you. Because Christ is amongst you. Your value is not in what you have accomplished. And I'm going to say that over and over again until you have dreams about it because it's truth. You are not what you have done. You are who you are in Jesus. Scripture is filled with different kinds of identifying language. It is filled from the very earliest uh, passages of all of Scripture. When God creates humankind in His own image, we begin to see that God has brought His people together by His standards, which are vastly different than the world around us. And so, a couple of New Testament passages to help us think about these ideas, this, 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 this view that in Jesus our identity is solely found. Uh, 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. John writes, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. John continues and he moves on in that particular chapter. One, it's, a, it's a wonderful chapter of Scripture that reminds us that God gave His Son, His one and only Son, and that love has permeated into our lives, that that love has been lavished on us. And guess what? We are nothing more. We are nothing less. We are fully and completely the children of God Himself through that love. The Apostle Peter writes in 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. As you, or 1 Peter chapter 2. As you come to Him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to Him, you also are like living stones. And you are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. That is different kind of language. That is a different way of thinking about who you are in Jesus Christ. You are not the construction worker of the temple. You are a part of the temple. You live amongst the living stone. You are not a stone. You don't just report to the priest. You are a part of the holy priesthood. And your sacrifices, your spiritual sacrifices are not meant to advance you in this place. They are meant to keep you connected to Christ, to our Father in heaven. Scripture has a different way of identifying you seeing you. It has different kind of language to tell you who you are, to remind you who you are, that you're not simply seen by what you can accomplish. We have to stop being people who think we have to do grand, big things that we have to accomplish in big ways. I'm tempted into this moment to go and to just look at the life and teachings of Jesus Christ in, this, in the Gospels. 
Because Jesus, though he does miraculous things and he will feed thousands and he will heal people and he will do magnificent things, Jesus' ministry is, is anchored in being with individuals. It is being in the everyday. It is being with those who are forgotten or left out. You see, Jesus embraces his identity that is found solely in his relationship with his Father in heaven and not in what he can do to grab the masses' attention. And those things may lead to big events. They may move us to grand events or accomplishments, but those accomplishments are not ours. They are the Father's. So... Let's turn back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I want to read verses 11 through 15. And Paul writes to the church, as we know, this is at least his second letter to the church in Corinth. Most likely this is his third or fourth letter to the church in Corinth. But Paul writes again to the church because the church in Corinth, Paul feels, needs his attention. They need these reminders. And this 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 11 through 15 is a wonderful reminder of Paul's motivation for writing the things that he writes. Paul is compelled, as he will say later on in verse 15, he's compelled by the love of Christ, but he's compelled because of that love to say the things that he's going to say, to do the things that he has done, to minister in the way that he has ministered, to live the kind of life that he has ministered, to abandon the life that he had and embrace something new and different than what the standard acceptable way of living as a Roman Jewish person was. He lives differently and he's compelled to do this. And so Paul, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 11 through 15, in one way, he's defending his life and his ministry ministry to the church and to the churches at large. He wants them to understand that what he has done is through the example that has compelled him and his relationship and in his identity to Jesus Christ alone. So he picks up, let me pick up in verse 11. Since we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. Verse 13. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it's for God. If we're in our right mind, it's for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all have died and he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. See, I think one of, now Paul clearly has multiple reasons and he's compelled in many different ways to write the things that he's written to the church already and the things that he continues to say to the church in Corinth and the church today but one of the main motivators as I can see it from 2nd Corinthians 5 verses 11 through 15 
is that Paul sees himself, he sees and understands that he is solely identified because of Jesus Christ. And for him, his motivation, his life, his ministry, everything that he has done is clearly in the view of God. What he is, is plain. There's no distraction, there's no obstruction, there's nothing in the way. And so what Paul says is we are plain, what we are is plain to God. I love that phrase and I love that idea, but I'm also terrified by this a little bit because what Paul is saying is who I am in Jesus Christ cannot be hidden. And I wonder... Now, this comes from personal experience, has nothing to do with any of you, and I, I tend to preach to myself and hope it applies to you, so when I say things like, uh, when I have these kinds of ideas, I'm, I'm kind of struggling in with myself because I'm wondering how often I try to hide who I am to God. Because I feel the tug, the pull. I feel... I feel the pressure to be and live and look a certain way. I feel the pressure to live to a certain style or standard. To feel accomplishment and, and how much is in that bank account or how, what I can do and, and how I can support and all these different things and how far up I can go in my profession and career. All these things I feel just like you and I wonder how often I'm more in tune or I'm more adept to, to pay attention to that standard than to know that what I am and who I am has nothing to do with what I can accomplish or have accomplished, it is solely based on Jesus Christ. And who I am is plain to him. It is without obstruction. He sees clearly the person I am because he is the, he is the God who created the person that I am. What we are is plain to God. And so I have a, I have a very short visual representation of this. I, I think this is, um, I think this idea, um, at least as, as, I, as I processed it this week, may be one that we can quickly attach to, right? That in this, in this idea that I think one of the ideas that Paul has in 2 Corinthians 5, 11 through 15 is that he lives the way he lives because what he is and who he is and who we are as a church, as he says to the church in Corinth, is plain to God. That we can't obstruct. We, we, can't, we can't hide that. Yet, what Paul continues to push up against in his letters to the church in Corinth that are very relevant to the church of the 21st century is that we believe we have to look, function, do, accomplish certain things when there is nothing that we have to do other than be plain to God. Who we are as individuals and who we are as a church is solely based in our alignment with Jesus Christ. And so, um, I won't... This is a mask from uh, 
Lucy a couple years ago, Halloween. I, I, I won't put it on because I don't want to scare little ones or anything, but right, the mask idea, okay? I wonder, I wonder if we are more comfortable with the mask on. Because here's what the mask tends to do, right? This, this idea I think we can attach to pretty quick. The mask idea is that you can hide behind. You can give another impression of. You can fill out the name tag the way you would like it to be filled out, right? You can, you can give impression or identity in this. And so we, we find ourselves not only in comfort, but we find ourselves behind a mask that says, you know what, I am a good person, or I can do these kinds of things. And we find ourselves in accomplishment behind the mask rather than being open and plain to God. We try to hide ourselves. And what Paul is reminding of us is, at the very heart, at the very core of many things, what Paul is reminding us is, is that we are plain to God. We are His, and there is nothing that can hide us. There is no mask that we can put on that God won't see behind, that God won't look beyond, because the creator of the universe is the creator of each and every one of us, and the mask that we try to cover and hide and protect ourselves from time to time is the mask that we believe will give us meaning and identity in our accomplishments. The mask of this world or the standards of this place. We are not persuaded of what kind of mask to wear. We are persuaded and compelled by the love of Jesus Christ. We are compelled, Paul writes. We are compelled by that love. And so um, I'm going to turn to Colossians 3 to, to end this in a moment. But first, Matthew chapter 5. Verses 13 and 14. I'm not going to read the whole passage. But, but Jesus has two pretty uh, dominant ideas in this passage of Scripture. The early part of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus makes a pretty uh, profound declaration of who people are in God. They are salt and they are light. And if you read uh, Matthew chapter 5 verses 13... Uh, through 16, you will find that there are no clauses. There are no ways out. God sees you. He identifies you plainly and clearly and without obstruction. He identifies you as salt of the earth and the light of the world. Now, plainly God sees us. He doesn't say that you can be. He doesn't say someday you can achieve this. He doesn't say you have to accomplish these things, that this is not a goal, this is who you are. And out of this identity that is solely based in Jesus Christ alone, there is no mask to which we can hide behind because you are, regardless of what you think, all that luggage and baggage and everything that you carry around with you that you believe is going to hinder you in the days to come, all the stuff that you think kind of, that, that, that brings you out of good graces of Jesus Christ. All the stuff, all the mess, all the baggage that you think is going to slow you down in the future, none of that matters because you are salt and you are light and that is how God sees you plainly and clearly. There is nothing that will stop him from ever seeing you and identifying you as this. 
This is, the plainly, uh, this is the plainness, the clearness to which Paul writes. I do what I do, not so that I can accomplish great things and save another church and, and plant another church and raise up new elders and do all these things. He doesn't do those things to bring identity. He does those things because of his identity. There is no mask to which he has to put on, and he lives into this idea that Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 5. There's nothing, not one thing that you have to do. You don't have to achieve a thing. You are plainly and clearly salt and light. Okay, I'm ending, I promise. Colossians chapter 3, though. I want to end with some practical how-to. Because if I'm you, sounds great. A lot of preacher talk. But how does this apply? How does this move me? How might I be intentional and living out solely from my identity in Jesus Christ, living differently on purpose. What are the actions? What are the words? What are the attitudes? How can I influence that? How can I be intentional and pay attention to the things, to the mask, to the, th to the ideas that get in the way of living plainly and clearly before God? Colossians chapter 3. Preacher homework. I want you to read Colossians chapter 3 tonight, verses 1 through 17. We're going to pay attention very quickly, okay? We're going to fast-pace this, um, these 17 verses, but I want to give, let's see, one, two, three, four different ideas that I believe come straight from Colossians chapter 3 that are practical ways that we can intentionally live differently. Paul writes about them in another letter as he writes to the church in Colossae, in Colossians chapter 3. Paul, as he was, at the, especially towards the end of chapter 2 of Colossians, Paul's talking about this idea that we don't live by the standards of this world, the rules of this world. We live differently in this world. And he goes on to say, for, number one, that we set above this place. That we set our, our hearts and our minds specifically above this place. Since you have been raised with Christ, Say your hearts and things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Paul says that if you want to live differently in this world and not to the rules and standards of this place, if you want to stop living behind a mask, your first step is to pay attention to the things above. For some of us, that may be as simple as getting into our word, into our Bibles more. It may be attaching ourselves into community more, connection groups, church, life together with others who believe and follow and try to follow in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. We set our intentions not in this place, but we set them above. Secondly, we have to put to death. We have to put to death the ways of this world. 
We have to put to death, Paul writes in verse, uh, verse 5 of Colossians chapter 3, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. And he gives us really concrete examples of the things that we have to shed and be intentional with that may be, perv- uh, that may be pervading our life. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. We used to walk in these ways, verse 7, in the life that you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language to your lips. Paul goes on. What is he saying? He says we have to be conscious and intentional about the things that we do say. Our actions, our words, and our attitudes. Because we are different on purpose. And we quite literally need to put to death certain actions in our lives. Certain shows and music. We need to put to death certain relationships that are infiltrating and pervading our lives. That are tearing us down and putting us into a place where we're not setting above our hearts and minds. Thirdly. Clothe yourself. Clothe yourself. And this sounds a whole lot like 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that first part. Verse 12, God, uh, Paul says, As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. We don't just put to death the things that, that, are perva- that are pervading us, that are pushing us away from God, we replace them with holiness, godliness, Jesus-likeness, the fruits of the Spirit kind of things. We clothe ourselves more like Jesus. We don't just get rid of, we replace with things that we can do that are setting our hearts and minds on things above. What are actions that you can take right now that would be just, just a half step more like Jesus? Can you say something differently or with an attitude that just slightly changes the whole conversation so that you can give Jesus, that you can share kindness or humility in that conversation? And lastly, let. Let. You can let God be with you. Now you're thinking, well, I always let God with you. I... I think we, we put on masks, we play hide and seek, we often try to get away from from time to time because when we let the Spirit of God into our lives fully and unabashedly, the Spirit of God is going to move us in places and, and with attitudes and actions and words that maybe we're not accustomed to and it scares us a little bit. So Paul says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Don't stop it. Let it. Verse 16, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. Allow it to happen. If you want to be intentional, living differently on purpose, set above, put to death, clothe yourself, and let. As I said, I want to encourage you to read Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. Spend time with it tonight at least. Maybe it's your passage of Scripture for the week or the next couple of days, but tonight at the very least, I encourage you to find these truths because you will find practicality, you will find ability, you will find encouragement to not just simply know you're different, 
but to live different on purpose. And so this morning I end. I'm going to go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'm going to offer an invitation here in this place this morning. I'm going to make myself available up front this morning if there's a need of any kind that this church can help with, if this church can pray for you, if there's something going on that you need community around you, please come find me. And I know that most of you, if not all of you, are going to stay right where you are. It's still an invitation to respond. Be in the moment as we sing one last song in this place. Be with God and ask yourselves, challenge yourselves with this idea. Are you playing? Are you clear in the presence of God? Maybe you need to ask yourselves what mask that you need to get rid of. What things are impeding you in your relationship with God? One of our shepherds, Mark Dobrins, is going to make himself available in the back of this cafeteria this morning. If you'd rather, if, if you would like to go to Mark in the back, um, you can do that here this morning. You can find him in the back, me in the front. You can find myself or any one of our shepherds uh, in this place this morning. Um, we're grateful to be together, but we are also invited to be plain and clear before God. And as we end. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 and 15, the very end of what we read earlier. Christ's love compels us. We are convinced. We are convinced that one died for all. And therefore, we have all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for Him. Him who died for them. And He was raised again. Let's stand together and let's sing.